It says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. If he trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Okay, the next thing they said. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. So, <laughs> so, now so many times we see this as a commandment of Jesus Christ and um, we take the things that Jesus preached as new commandments that we must obey. Now I want to tell you that Jesus Christ did not come to give us new commandments of the law to obey so that we can be righteous before God. He did not do that. Jesus Christ came as a man under the law. He had to fulfill the law. And in many of the things He said, He preached the law and even lifted the standard of the law for the purpose that people could see that nobody could stand before God and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Jesus is God. They couldn't stand before God in human flesh, couldn't stand before God in human flesh concerning their own righteousness and the righteousness of their works. Now, you, you remember that uh, Jesus said here, we just read it, seven times a day. And then if you go and read Matthew 18, Peter got a bit wise. He said, Lord, shall I really forgive even seven times? So what he was actually saying is, well, you know, I think I can make the, the law said three times. Then Jesus said seven times. So Peter thought, well, I'm going to make the seven times now. And Jesus says, no, seven times seventy. <coughs> Lifting the standard again. If he would have come a week later and said, 7 times 70? He would say, no, 70 <coughs> times 700. And lift it again. To show man's inability to be righteous by how he forgives his neighbor. You cannot be righteous before God in the way you forgive your neighbor. Forgiveness in your heart is simply an outflow of the nature of God that indwells you. That's all. It's got nothing to do. It doesn't, you don't score any points with God when you've forgiven somebody, when you've given something or anything. It's simply an outflow of who God is inside you. And we've read that scripture so many times, you know, and, and it's come to the, to the minds of the church so many times where you say, Lord, how will I forgive seven times in a day, for the very same thing. Listen, man. After the third time, the second time, you start to think, what's wrong with the guy? The third time, he's hardkoppig. And we need to sort him out, man. He's, he's deliberate now. He's trying to tempt me now. You know, what nonsense is, is this? That's what comes to... An <laughs> Well, maybe I'm the only one and I see Dave, we struggle with this, but some of the other guys here don't, don't struggle with that. But it's, it's like that. And now we get a command here and we say, it's written in red, Jesus said, you shall do this. But um, J Jesus actually said, listen, there's something much greater. The apostle said something which the church falls into many times. I've struggled with that. The first thing they said is, increase our faith. To do what? To fulfill the law. So they said, I want more faith that I can do this commandment. 
And that's what we so many times chase after. I want to have great faith so that I can do all the things that I think I need to do to qualify before God. And then we think, you know, we get very spiritual Christians and we fast and we spend a lot of time in the Bible. We pray. We start to become more faithful in going to church. And we say, well, now I'm grabbing a hold of faith and I'm going to believe and I'm going to be a very big Christian obeying all these things. And I'm even asking God for strength to strengthen me to fulfill this law that was just given. And then Jesus said something very wonderful. He said, you don't need great faith. You need a different type of faith. Let's go and just read it again. (laughs) So what he was actually saying is, I'm not going to provide you faith to fulfill the law. I'm not going to give you strength to do all the commandments so you can be righteous by doing all the commandments. And so many times we think, oh God, if I can just have the strength, and if you can just empower me to do all these things, because by these things I know... I am righteous before you. Good works is just an outflow of righteousness that already exists in your heart. It doesn't make you righteous. The Bible says, by, no, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be made righteous before God. Nobody. Nobody. Maybe you're here for the very first time, you say, man, but this is a... What type of a gospel is this? This is the gospel which is supposed to be preached to every person. And those who believe this, we possess something that also belongs to others, that needs to hear this gospel, that sets people so free, that gives them a true relationship with the living God, and that allows the living God to be Himself inside people, setting them free from their bondage. Amen. Love liberates people. And love brings out the best in people. Amen. So, maybe you're hearing this for the first time. I I want to tell you, don't be scared. This is the only license God has given us unto righteousness. It's not a license unto sin. The Bible says clearly in Romans chapter 7 that the flesh took its occasion by the law. So, sin took its occasion Sin started to manifest in our lives through the law system. Which, and, and now I want to define the law. Sometimes we think the law is just the Ten Commandments. No. The law is the mentality that says, I am not, I need to do something to become. <laughs> and put in anything there. Anything. Anything. No, I, I, I need to pray more to be pleasing to God. No, no. You don't need to pray more. Like my one friend, <laughs> a Francis Toy, remember he preached here once. Somebody came to him and said, Man, pray for me that I can have strength, that I can leave the cigarette. He said, Man, I'll buy you a carton of cigarettes. You don't need to stop to smoke, you need a revelation. And that's exactly how it is. You know, to force somebody to stop his habit is not what sets him free. The only thing is, is he's somebody in bondage that's not doing the sin. Because in his heart he's still bound. But true freedom comes through a revelation when you realize that that thing which you do is not who you are. And that doesn't belong to you. When you really grab a hold of the gospel of grace, you don't leave sin. Sin leaves you. 
doesn't feel comfortable with you. For he is somebody now that's righteous. Believing, and believing on what Jesus Christ has done, not trying to copy the life of Jesus, but having the very life of Jesus inside him. And that's the gospel. (laughs) That's what I want to tell you. That's what he has brought to each one of you. Each one of you that believe in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, the fullness of the Godhead is inside you. Right inside you. It's like, uh, um, I've got a friend and he said to me, he he went through a very hard time financially, and he said to me, Bert, you know what? I'm still going to stand up. And it sounds so good, you know, because he says he's going to stand up. But when he said it, there was something in my heart. He's got a good job now and everything, but what he was saying is, I'm going to become a millionaire again. Now, I know he's going to become a millionaire again. But he said, I'm going to stand up. And when he said those words, something hit in my heart, something's wrong. And I was thinking about it. I just felt this check in my heart. Something's wrong. And what, what I realized what was wrong is, he doesn't believe he's a success. He believes that he's lying down because he's working for a salary. <laughs> and that he's actually a nothing because he works for a boss. That's wrong. That means that my, my friend still finds his identity in his money. And in what he does. And now, he, he, he takes the gospel and says, the gospel must empower me so that I can do what I need to do to say I'm standing again. Which is to have a lot of money and be a millionaire. I've got nothing against millionaires or having millions. Please, you know. Uh, it's wonderful if we prosper. Please don't hear that. <laughs> what I'm saying is, we are not what we possess. We are who possesses us. And we are His possession. Amen. Therefore we have been made the very righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Let's go to Luke again. So, so I mean, I haven't had time. I'll, I'll give him a call and share with him. Because what's going to happen now is, the moment he thinks he, he's still nothing and he needs to become something, he's going to do something so that he can become a millionaire, which, which actually flows out of the law, which says, I must do to become, and that is bound to fail. It's bound to fail, because he will make a wrong business decision. Listen, the best thing for any businessman, when it comes to a business decision, a good business decision, is not to be under any pressure. If you're under pressure, you are likely to make a wrong decision. Because you cannot see things for what they truly are. But if you are at peace, happy with what you've got, your mind is open and you can see a deal for what it truly is. And you'll pick the right deal. But if you are under pressure to become, you'll make the wrong decision. Here and there you might make the right one, but it's like a shot in the dark. You know, you hit it, you think it works. You can make a wrong decision. So, be at a place where we say, I am already successful. I, I cannot be more successful than what I am today. I tell you, I cannot be more successful in ministry than what I am today. I can't. Because my success is simply ministering the success of the cross. <laughs> it can happen that more people can hear at a time in one building. But does that now make me more successful? 
No, no, it just, all it means, if there's more people, it means that there's just more people listening <laughs> to the gospel of how God made everyone a success in Jesus Christ. That's all it is. That's why we don't chase numbers. We don't chase that. We don't chase building a ministry. And if we don't chase that, then God can build His people. Amen. We don't try to build a ministry see how big can we grow a church. All we want to see is people believing this good news. Having their own relationship with God, not leading people to me, but to Jesus. That they can have their own relationship with God. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't have to be the, the, the only anointed with the power for the two and a half, two hours that we preach here. No, no. You must realize who you are. Amen. At Luke 17. So we are not asking God for power to fulfill the law that is in our heart so that we can become what we think we need to become in order to be a success. That is a life that, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny because you will say today, if I can have that house. Once you live in that house, you find it's too small or not in the right place. Then I'll be a success if I'm there. And you're always chasing something in this, in the rotte races, you know, rat race. Chasing after stuff all the time and never, never coming to a place where you feel fulfilled. I don't know if it was Bill Gates or, 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 or man, one of these guys, I don't know how much money they've got. They said to him, now why do you want more? He says, more is always better. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, cannot ever have enough. Now I'm further than him. I'm happy with what I've got. He's still trying to reach the place where he says, well now I've made it. <laughs> I've reached that. Amen. Do you want to say you've got it made? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. In Christ. His perfection is ours. And it's yours. The only thing is you must just realize it. That's what has happened to you in the cross of Jesus Christ. When you believe that, you find the Holy Spirit comes and make that reality in the heavens true in your life today. Amen. And you find a peace that the Bible talks about that is greater than understanding. Yes. That's a wonderful peace. Now listen to what he says. He says, uh, um, And the apostle said unto him, Lord, increase our faith. So then Jesus said to them, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree. Now, the one preacher said, sycamine cancer and sycamine poverty and sycamine... But <laughs> let's just say tree, mulberry tree. That's what it says in some of the translations. Murbei boom. Okay. Be thou plucked up by the root... And be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. So Jesus comes and says something completely different. He says, increase our faith, so that we can have faith to obey this law. Then Jesus said, you just need a little bit of faith. It's not about great faith, or small faith. It's not about being very powerful in faith to obey the law. Or to do the thing you think you must do in order to reach the place where you think you must go, and then put the stamp of approval upon your life. No, he says there's a different faith. And you just need a very small type of the correct faith, which I will explain. And then you will say to this tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. Now, there's something very significant there. What tree is he talking about there? He was talking about that very tree that 
they tried, that was growing in their lives, what tree was it? I believe it was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. (laughs) He says, which is the law. He says, you don't need faith to fulfill the law. You need a little faith so that you can take this law that is rooted in your heart out of your heart. So the faith that we have is not to fulfill the law, but to get rid of the law. <laughs> oh man, if this doesn't make you happy, then I'm only, only one happy here. It blesses me. You know, so many times we try to climb this tree. We cultivate the tree. We want this tree to bear fruit. The tree of the law that's planted in our hearts. Jesus said, you'll take this tree, you will tell it, be plant, planted into the sea. What does the Bible say? He's buried my sins <laughs> in the depths of the sea and carried my guilt far away. So what is the tree that was in their hearts when Jesus said to them seven times? It was guilt, condemnation. I don't qualify. Give me power that I can qualify. He said you need a different type of faith. There's something else you need to believe so that you can say to this thing that's rooted in your heart, this condemnation, this judgment, this I'm not good enough, I'm not making it, and you will tell that thing you are planted in the sea and will obey you. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Now, you need to have a certain belief system to believe that. There's something you need to believe. You cannot have faith that uproots the law system in your heart if you don't believe what Jesus Christ came to do. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. Let's go there quickly. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. I tell you, people, the whole world needs to hear this gospel. People need to be flooded with the unconditional love of God. When Jesus walked this earth, sinners loved His presence. They loved His presence. And they hated the Pharisees. But they loved the presence of Jesus. Because He was not condemning them, but preaching something to them that draws them. Hallelujah! And I tell you, if we preach this message, the only people that get upset with this message is the legalist. But the person that is out there, just just a normal sinner, if you want to call it like that, that person falls in love with this gospel, finding his life changing completely. And I've testified to you guys that I've I've got this friend in Malmesbury, and he went with me to... um, to, uh, uh, to the United States and got so touched by God, you know, received the salvation power of Jesus. It was awesome. His life was so changed. He came back. I didn't teach him five steps to this, ten steps to that, nothing. Man, I can just see Jesus shining out of this guy. He started to come to sell. I never, you know, I didn't even invite him. Then he got upset. He says, You've got a meeting you haven't told me. And he's coming. And he's going to two cell groups now. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And his, his, his life is so on fire with his gospel. And his friends, how his friends' life is, is being impacted by this. In Montbury, there's a, a grace-based church there. You know, and his friends are going to that church. He's also going to that church. 
it's awesome to see, you know, what God has done in his life through this gospel. I mean, when I met him, I tell you, it's a type of guy you... <laughs> him and the, the biker friends is like when they hear you're a preacher, they don't want to be your friend because of what they understand about preachers and the gospel. But once they heard, and as I was sharing the gospel with them, and God is not a God of condemnation, doesn't walk in the consciousness of your sins, but is conscious of what He has done already with your sins, and He wants you to come to that true knowledge of what has happened 2,000 years ago in Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world 2,000 years ago. Amen. So that those who can believe that can receive that salvation. I tell you, they're the last change. They want it. Amen. So, we can take this good news gospel and preach it to people. How are... You know, Jesus Christ came to forgive us our sins. We must have a different mindset, a different way of belief when it comes to the gospel. If we want the right faith, the right mustard seed faith, that will speak to the law in our hearts, there's something that we must believe about Jesus. And it's written in in, 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 um, Colossians 2. Let's go there quickly. Colossians 2.14 Listen to this. Verse 13 And you, being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, has He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So how did God quicken us together with Jesus? By forgiving us our trespasses. By forgiving us our trespasses. Amen? How did He forgive us? And this is the very, very, very powerful. How did He forgive us? By blotting out the handwriting of ordinances or laws that was contrary to us. You know that word ordinance in the Greek is the word doctrine. (laughs) He said He forgave us by blotting out the handwriting of the law. He said He forgave us by taking the teaching of the law out of the way by nailing nailing it to the cross. How did He nail it to the cross? Jesus Christ became a man under the law. Then He took, and that man, Jesus Christ, under the law, was a representative of all of mankind which was under the law. Then mankind represented in Jesus under the law was nailed to the cross. And then He died. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God He died. Because when He died, the human race that's got a a, a law relationship with God, died. So that there is no man that stands before God in a law relationship. But the problem is, men are deceived. And they don't understand how this law thing works. How it has been fulfilled. Therefore, they still feel, when they read the Bible, I come short. Listen, if you read the Bible and you feel you come short, you're not reading what it says. When you read the Bible, you should never feel, I come short. You should feel, I've made it. I have made it. The Bible says that He is our high priest with, with the power of an endless life to save to the uttermost. Those that believe. Not to barely save with a, barely make it with a skin on your teeth and a little bit of mercy of God. No, no, no. He saves to the uttermost. 
to the uttermost. So once you've believed in Jesus Christ, you are part of the uttermost salvation. Like Ronald Bonker says, from the guttermost to the uttermost. <laughs> Hallelujah. He saved us to the uttermost. So when it comes to this, and you read about what Jesus Christ has done, you read about the uttermost salvation. You cannot come and say, well, here's a shortcoming, there's a shortcoming. There. No, no, you read about how complete your salvation is. How He has perfected you in Christ. To the point where you feel that that message is bringing excitement in your heart. We don't work it up. We try, don't try to work up a love for your neighbor or a love for yourself or, or friends or whatever. Where you feel that this gospel, I see the value of people. I want to just testify about the fruit of this in my own life. Now when I see people, there's something in my heart. Because I see them in the cross of Jesus. Represented in that cross. Represented in the resurrection. Preaching. I, I want to preach to them. So they can come to this knowledge. That the truth of this can be manifested by the Holy Spirit in their lives today. Amen. So I want to tell you, my friend, there's no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for you. Hallelujah. He's come to set you free. And you are free indeed. And what we need to believe about Jesus is, the, the mustard seed faith, is the faith that says, one man brought sin into the world. His name was Adam. Through one act of disobedience, and then Romans 5 says, through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, Righteousness came into this world. Hallelujah. When we believe that, then there's a mustard seed faith inside our hearts. And we can say to this tree of, well, I must climb this big tree. I feel condemned because I haven't forgiven seven times in a day. And I feel I come short. You can say to that tree that tells you, you come short. You've got knowledge of your shortcomings. You've got knowledge of how you don't make it. You can say to that tree, be plucked up and planted into the sea. And if you've got the right type of faith, it will happen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, when an accusation comes to your heart, you can say, Jesus died for me. He died for me. I've been made righteous by His blood, and the proof of my righteousness is the Holy Spirit that indwells me. Amen. If you, if I tell you, say you, um, you're going overseas, and you went to the, um, on the internet or wherever, you went and you bought your ticket and you got the receipt. That receipt is enough for you to have peace that you'll be flying on the 20th of whatever month. That receipt is what brings you the peace. Isn't it? You've got that receipt. Now the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the proof of payment. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit is the proof that my sins has been paid, that I have been made righteous, and that I qualify for an immortal body in the return of Jesus Christ. Already. Because the reason why He is put inside me is to, 
to remind me of all the good things in Christ so that I can be renewed in my heart and He is there ready to renew your mortal body into immortality at the return of Jesus Christ. So, (laughs) if you're in a mine and you plant the dynamite or whatever they use these days, you know, when that dynamite is planted, it means that that piece of ground is already seen as full of gold. Otherwise, they're not going to blast it. The value of that is already seen and it qualifies to be blasted to, to see the true value om het te ontgin, ek weet, en te mine it. Okay. So in the same way, when you've received the Holy Spirit, it's the sign of your 100% approval in the eyes of God. And he said, the Holy Spirit is what's going to take this, this planet, this mortal body, and make everything new in the twinkling of an eye at the return of Jesus Christ. In one second, it's going to happen. So he said, well, you qualify, put the Holy Spirit in him because he will become immortal. You qualify. Going to heaven, if you want to just use simple words. He's making it. You believe upon Him, He puts the Holy Spirit in you. You believe upon Him, He puts the Holy Spirit in you. Hallelujah. Disobedience, the Bible says, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That word disobedience, go and check it in the Greek. You know, we've, we've said, put that thing off now. It literally means unbelief. Yeah. Unbelief. The wrath of God comes upon the unbelievers. What type of unbelief? Do you know, belief to say that I am, I need power to obey the seven forgiveness a day rule. It's unbelief. It's unbelief. It's not the right type of faith. It is the great faith for great works of the law so that we can just qualify. No, no. We've got a different faith. We've got a faith that says, one man represented the whole human race. Jesus Christ. Listen, if one man could, could represent you in sin, Adam, why can't one man represent you in the cross? <laughs> Hallelujah. And that's the gospel that we preach. That's why it says, go and preach forgiveness of sins in what? In the name of Jesus. We preach the forgiveness of sins. So we tell the whole world, in one man, your sins are forgiven. In one man. Do you know what the, 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 Pharisees, um, the um, high priests of the old time, they, when they came before God with the sacrifices and all those type of things, they themselves also had sin and had shortcomings. In other words, the sacrifice they made was only a type and a shadow of the real thing to come. And they had, they were mortals. They, 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 they were mortals. They could die. So, they were high priests that came before God with shortcomings. So, the sacrifice they made wasn't the perfect sacrifice. But it was just types and shadows of the real thing to come. Then God said, the high priest that I have chosen for you guys. Now, what was a high priest? It's somebody that stands on behalf of everybody. If he qualified, everybody qualified. Amen. So, the high priest comes. Who's this high priest? He says, I've chosen a high priest for you. Which comes in a certain order. And that order is somebody who cannot die. And that is Jesus. 
And he was not found among sinners. In other words, he was not a sinner. He was perfect and holy. And the reason why the, the, the other high, uh, high priest, the old high priest that died, had to sacrifice again and again, was simply because their sacrifice didn't work. Yeah. So they try again. They sacrifice for sins, but the sins aren't really forgiven. It's just covered. Then they sin again, and they must sacrifice again. And they sin again, they must sacrifice again. But it says, then when Jesus Christ came, through, and He is our high priest, by the power of an endless life, He's perfect holy, He cannot die, He's forever our high priest. He came, and through one sacrifice, He's perfected forever. And I want to use my own words, them that believe. You find that perfection in your life. But Bertie, I don't see perfect works in my life. You're not perfected in your works, you're perfected in the Lamb. Amen. Amen. And that will change your works. Okay, that's got a great influence upon your works. It's got a great influence upon your life. It does. It's like I've said so many times for you that, that are here for the first time. You know, my my wife and I, we differ in, um, I mean, we've got different personalities. There's different things that she like. I, we, we like different things. I'm a motor guy man, a motorbike man, and she's a, more of an opera house. You know? Yeah. She likes a kunstflik and whatever. I like the Jan Kluter van die Dam, you know? <laughs> Type of movie or whatever. And I remember when I, when, when I met her, I only wore khaki clothes. <laughs> and I mean, she's got some taste. You know? So, when we came together, our agreement was not, let's change each other. That's not, we didn't get married on that basis. We got married because we love each other. In spite of the different tastes and stuff. We just loved each other. And that love brought forth a change in my life and in her life. It's just the way it is. The love brings forth the change. Without the law of change. So many times we think that that the vision that God has with us is to change us. I've got good news for you. God's vision is not to to (laughs) alter your behavior. He's not into the behavior modification type of mindset. But how's our behavior then going to be modified? Just forget about that for a moment. Can't we just think of Jesus? Just think of Jesus and what He's done. And how will our behavior be modified? If you now really want it modified. Without even thinking of changing your behavior. By simply knowing what He's done for you. You'll find you have changed. Change is not something you decide to do. It's something you find that has happened to you. You find you don't think the same anymore. It's like my friend and I that I talked about with the motorbikes. Man, that guy can really... I got a bike, yeah. And he'll do 100 kilometers in 23 or 24 minutes. It's, It's like madness, man. He can do it. But you know what? The other day he came to me and said to me, you know, I want to sell my motorbike. And he loves his motorbike. He says, I I want to sell it. I just feel this is over now. I don't want to do it anymore. Nobody had to preach to him. The gospel works in you. 
The vision is not, where am I wrong and where can I change? The vision is, who is Jesus and what has He done on my behalf and I want to discover who I am in Christ and who Christ really is. Because that's who I am. Amen. That's the gospel. So, when we have got a little faith, what do we say? What is the faith we have? What is our faith directed towards? If you really make use of your faith, you speak to what? You speak to the law in your heart. And you uproot the law in your heart. That's why it is such a dangerous thing to mix the gospel of grace with the gospel of law. Because if you mix the two, you'll never uproot the thing. And the the real faith cannot work for the purpose that it's there. Imagine. Faith is there for the purpose to uproot true faith. To uproot the law system in your life so that Christ can live in you. Now, you mix the law with, with the true gospel. Moots and moonies, do's and don'ts. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad from God. You take that gospel, that message, and you mix it with the gospel of grace. Do you know what? It's a big problem. It's a, a mess up. You, you, how, how do you, do you... It's just as good as like Paul said. He said, if you are now being circumcised, if you go back to the law, Christ will profit you nothing. It's just as good as what He never died. Because he will have no effect in your life. The effect that the gospel will have in your life is when you grab such a hold of what is done for you that when somebody comes to you and tells you forgive seven times in a day and you feel the guilt and you disqualify that you can by the true faith uproot that gospel of law and that condemnation from your heart and say maybe I don't qualify to the seven times but he made me qualify. And that law system is uprooted. Amen. Let's read on in Luke 17. We're going to end off with this. Hallelujah. And the Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd say to this tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted into the sea. Now it says you're plucked up by the root. Jesus Christ, John the Baptist comes and he prophesies. He says, he says to the Pharisees, he says, the axe is already at the root. The axe is already at the root. Hello? (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Shame. This door locks locks you up. So, the axe is already at the root. He says, Jesus will come. Who warned you of the coming judgment? Because there was a judgment. What was the judgment? Against the law system. Where God, Jesus Christ, will uproot the law system. And he says, the axe is already at the root. Says to the Pharisees, which is Jesus, uprooting this law system. And then he says, out of the, the root of the stem of Jesse will come a small tender plant, which speaks of Jesus Christ. Amen. So everything will be uprooted. There will be no man righteous before God. God will take the whole law system away in Jesus Christ. And the faith that we have is the very faith of God to, to do that which Jesus Christ has done and see that manifest in our own lives. Uprooting that. Saying, by the root that is taken out of my life. I'm not going to just chop it off here, ye boolongs, you know. And we think, you know, the law thing is... Uh, um, this church is in the law because they don't lift their hands. Oh, man. 
You know, because they wear a tie, they're in the law. I remember one day I was in, um, in, in, in Canada and I preached in a church that's very free. They're very free. And I came there and I did... Now, I'm not a suit type of a guy. But I put an Italian suit on. With a tie. You know? Very, very nice. And I came in there. The, 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 the lady said, Do you want to put me in bondage? At the door. Do you want to put me in bondage? You see, the belief system is wrong. She's still in the law. She's still in the law. She's still into do to become. Because she thinks... If I don't wear this, but if I wear that, then I'm free. Yeah. You're not free by what you wear. Right. Wear whatever you want. If you like a, a suit and a tie and look like a pick of vein, that's fine. <laughs> you know? Do that. If that's what you feel in your heart, do that. Enjoy it. But if you do that to qualify before God or to, to make some point, you've got a problem. And those type of things is, is what must be approved. We shouldn't be in a place where we say, well, you know, we're in the law because um, these people are in the law because they don't lift their hands. If I come and tell you, listen, man, if you really want to worship God, you must lift your hands. You're in the law as well. Yeah. <laughs> because another thing you must do to qualify before God. Yeah. If you're really under the power, then you'll fall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I pray for many people, they fall over. You know, but what does it mean if somebody falls over? It means he's not standing anymore. <laughs> he's fallen. That's all. That's all. So many times people don't come for healing, they come to fall. <laughs> you know, we've got so many funny things that, that, that we grab the hold of. I want to tell you, Christ has come to set us free from all those type of things. Let's, have, let's not just chop, chop it off right here and let's, let's see this branches coming wild out of this tree again. We uproot the thing by the root. And the root of what we did was the law. And we uproot that law system. And that's what our faith is made for. It's designed to speak to the law system and uproot it out of the hearts of people. Okay. Verse 7, but which of you, now listen to what Jesus says, very interesting, he says, first thing he says, forgive seven times, because he knew they are going to say, oh we can't, he says, forgive seven times, he says, uh, increase our faith Lord, okay, um, you don't need that type of faith, you need a different type of faith, okay, we, to do what, to uproot the law, okay, then he goes on, he says something else, he says, but which of you, having a servant plowing, or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he comes from the field, go and sit down to, to eat. So what he's saying is, who of you, when you have a servant, this was their custom that time, when he's worked on the field, comes into the house, you say, man, I've made food for you. He says, no one. <laughs> he says, that servant is now first going to serve you as well. And after he served you, then he's going to eat. Okay, now let's read that. And will he not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird yourself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards you shall eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things which, he, which were commanded him? I don't think so. So likewise you, when, listen to this, <laughs> when you shall have done all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. That word unprofitable means worthless, good for nothing. 
That's what it means. So what he actually says is, he says, listen, you are asking for faith to obey the forgiveness of seven times a day. You don't need faith to do that. You need faith to uproot that system. Even if you have the faith to do it that way, do you think after you've done it that way, I'm now going to bless you? You're still worthless, man. The master, listen to this. <laughs> Go read it. I'm just reading there. The master, the master must first eat. Then you can eat. So what was, what was the thing? When you eat, you are served. Okay? But the master must first eat. So what was he actually saying? He says, listen, you cannot be praised. You cannot be blessed by what you do. The only thing, the thing that must happen first before you can sup and eat is the master must first eat. And Jesus, when he was crucified, he said something awesome. He said, Lord, can't you let this cup pass by me? Because he was eating something. And he was eating the wrath of God for the sins of the whole world. And he said, listen, even if you obey forgiving seven times a day, even if you do all of those things, when you come before God, you will not be praised. You're still worthless. You're still worthless. About the talents, the one with the five, the two and the one. The one that multiplied, that could have more. He said, good and faithful servant. But the one that gave back the one, only what he received. He only did what he was, I mean, he just measured up to what he was given. It was the law was given and I could only do this law. You worthless servant. Be cast into the darkness. I give you back what you've given me. You've given me the law and I've obeyed the law and yes, uh, a good obedience to the Lord. Jesus said, your, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. You must multiply on the righteousness that is commanded from you. And the only way that can be done is by Jesus. And He must first eat. And you know what? He's, he ate. He drank that cup of the wrath of God. So that we, today, are not into the plowing the field trying to get the master to serve us a table. The master is not serving us a table, not giving us food because we have obeyed all the law. We are served with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ for he ate the wrath of God. The punishment for sins for us all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. So my friend, maybe you are faced with a law that you've made for yourself saying these, 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 these things, then I'm the blessed of God. Let me just give you some practical examples. Just as a, as a, a, a preacher, you know, we are seen as successful if you wear the right clothes, if you just preach with the right way, you know. There's so many earthly laws that, ca- that came just through culture and so many things. It's laws by which we measure our success. Buildings. All those things. We measure by those things. You know, how many people do you have in your church? Now, I've got so many. How many miracles did you have? How many people are in the crowd? I mean, there we had 6,000. Today we've got 40. I mean, what's the... I, I mean, this morning I was preaching on the internet. I don't even know if one person watched 
They will watch it maybe in the archive. I don't know. But does that make me less of a success? No ways. No way. So we've got all that. Maybe you've got that list. And you said, well, the Ten Commandments was very easy, but this list I've got is even on top of that. And God, give me power to measure up to the church rules, to measure up to this, to measure up to that, so that I can qualify before God. I want to tell you, Jesus said, the type of faith that you're supposed to have is to uproot that system. Maybe you've been in a place where you say, I don't qualify to prosper financially for, I haven't been tithing for six months or a year. Take the gospel of grace and uproot that lying belief system. And say, I qualify in Christ. For He meets my needs, man. He's a father to me. Imagine, I said to one of my friends, I said, imagine, just to get back to finances, imagine, you, I mean, you give your daughter like pocket money every month, 150 bucks or whatever. She comes and she buys you gifts. She, she just blesses you. I mean, she loves you. She blesses you with gifts. And it goes on like that for two years. And after two years, you speak to her and say, now why do you always buy daddy these presents? And she says, but daddy, it's obvious. If I don't buy you 10% of the money I get gifts, I'm not sure as if you will give to me next month. (laughs) You know what? The father will immediately think, what's wrong with me? As a father. That my child would even dare to think such a thing. It is actually a disgrace to what type of father he is. He says, no, my heart will break, man. Because I don't care for her because she buys me gifts. I care for her because I just care for her. She's my daughter and I'm the father and I can't help being myself. When I see her, I want to buy I want to bless her with something. I want to make sure it goes well with her and the needs are met. In the same way, I want to tell you that there's a Father in Heaven that loves you. Jesus Christ. Amen. God in human flesh. Forever your High Priest. And the work of the High Priest is to, to pronounce you blameless, above reproach, Perfect in the sight of the Almighty God. And He will be there forever. And for you as a believer, not to be righteous before God, Jesus needs to stop to exist. I want to tell you, in Afrikaans say it so mooi, this is God's omwindelijk. Nie God kan dit recht kry nie. That's why the Bible says, who will bring in an accusation against the elect of God? Is it God? Is it God? It's impossible for God. We'll have to go back on who He is. Amen. For God to go back and implement a system, when it comes to your finances, that you must work, I don't say physical work, but to work of a spiritual principle to get the heavens to open up, is an abomination on the cross of Jesus Christ that we've just shared in the beginning here. Now let me tell you something. (laughs) Maybe you hear this and and, and this will work two things in your heart. Great joy and great anger. Because you might say, I've been wasting my money for ten years. (laughs) 
Let's not walk in that deception. Let's continue to walk in the love of Christ. My friend, I want to tell you, when the Bible says, we give our, when we say, we give our life to Jesus, it's actually wrong, because He first gave our, His life to us. <clears throat> Amen. He gave His life. That's the Gospel. The Gospel is not give your life to Jesus. The Gospel is, He gave His life for you, and accept what He has done. But there are scriptures that says, if you lay down your life, now, what does that mean? That means there's a life that people live that says, by what I do, I'm going to be blessed. Lay that life down. And take up your cross. What is your cross? It's your victory in Christ. Why is it your cross? Because when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says, Paul says, if one died, then all are dead. So, when you take up your cross, you take up the thing that says, the lawman was nailed to the cross and died. And I take up that this man that seeks justification by his works is already dead. I take that up. Amen. Amen. And I've got a new life in Jesus Christ. Church, I want to tell you, let's grab a hold of Jesus. Not just as a historical Jesus. Of 2,000 years ago, He died upon a cross. But as a living reality. And I've said it to you last time, I want to say it again, and I, I end off with this. If I tell you, my son jumped off the roof for you, and he died for you, He will say, so what? I mean, what does that now mean? You see, it's what it means that gives it impact. So, many people believe Jesus died. He died 2,000 years ago and He rose again. But what does that mean? It's like telling you, you know, somebody won the lotto. Oh, so what? But if I say that somebody is you, it makes a difference. If I say Jesus died, but if I say He died on your behalf, Jesus obeyed and He was sinless. Why? He's sinless on your behalf. It includes you. He was resurrected on your behalf. He's forever holy, never to die. That means you are forever holy. And it will come in the return of Jesus when your body will be glorified and you will never die. <laughs> that makes that word powerful. Including you. If it excludes you, I mean, what does it mean? What does it mean if we say God became a human being? And then the name of God today is Jesus I love what my brother shared with us, with me. He said, what's the name of God? The name of God is Jesus. It says, Jesus will be called... Do you know all that? Just say it again. Yeah, a son. Was it Isaiah? Nine. nine. Let me just read that to you. Just listen to this. Isaiah 9 verse 6. And this, this is so many times we think Jesus is just like... I can only say this in Afrikaans. Hy bid in die karoo, it's very dry. Hy bid, hy sê, God, dis baie droog, jy sê, moet afkom om te help. Maar moet nie jou seen stuur nie, hier is een groot droogte. <laughs> Sometimes we've got that idea of God, you know. <laughs> God the Father is the big one, and Jesus is just a small something. No, no. Jesus is God. When Jesus walked the earth, He says, they said, show us the Father. He says, don't you see me? 
He said, yeah, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the Father with you. If you've seen me, you've seen God, man. So what's God's name? It's Jesus. Hallelujah. You might say, but there's some other Hebrew names. It's true. There are Hebrew names which describe some of the characteristics of God. But not God. (laughs) Amen. It just describes the characteristics. So, the name of God, if you go, when Jesus was upon the earth, was He God in human flesh? Yes. What was His name? Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. So, I want to tell you, when it comes to Jesus... He, it was God in human flesh giving the life of God for the human race. He's called the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Mighty God, Counselor. Speaks about a son that was born that will be called the Mighty God. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. That's what He's called. So I want to tell you, when Jesus came to earth, it's not just this mediocre type of, oh, Jesus guy. No, no. It is God. The Almighty God that gave the life of the Almighty for the human race. So that the human race can be clothed with the righteousness of the Almighty God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So remember, <laughs> He first eats so that we can eat. Even if, you've, even if you've forgiven seven times a day, you can still call yourself worthless if you think you want to be justified by that. Amen. Our faith is not towards having power to fulfill the law, but to uproot the law in our lives. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Let's just pray. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. You know, maybe you are in this place and you've never believed upon Jesus in this way. And you feel, um, <coughs> just to give your mind rest, I'm going to call nobody out or something like that. It's between you and God. And maybe you say, you know, I've heard always of a historical Jesus and laws and commands and all of those things. But I want to put my faith in who Jesus really is and what He's really done. If that is you, I want to, I want to tell you simply in your heart, just say, Jesus, you are my Lord. That's all. In your heart, say, Jesus, you are my Lord. I don't save myself. You have saved me. And I receive the salvation that you have given me 2,000 years ago. Just in your heart, you do it right now. God sees it and you see it. And when you go out here, you know that this is the gospel that's taken root in your heart now. And the true faith is uprooting that system that disqualified you. And you receive the very righteousness of God. Tonight, you're taking up your cross. You're taking up your victory. In Jesus' name. And you walk out here victorious. Father, I want to thank you for everybody that is here. I want to thank you that they can be touched and impacted by your unconditional love. I declare to every person here, you have been set free by Jesus. I declare to every person here that that the guilt and condemnation and shame in your hearts uprooted by the gospel of God's unconditional love. You are a new person. You've been washed in the blood of Jesus. And there's nothing but the blood of Jesus that can make you clean. And you have been washed in His blood. If you believe this, it manifests in your life. It's yours. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.